0: You worship team, church, for singing. You've been an encouragement to me this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we've just sung, we ask and pray for you to speak now through your word, not only through a man, not only in our ears, but in our hearts and minds About you, what you are doing in the world, what you would have us do, what it means to be a part of the church, what the apostles mean for us. I pray, Father, that as we enter into the book of Acts, that it would be helpful, renewing, instructing correcting, encouraging for our church. You know where our church is, Millwood Baptist Church, between the day that it was founded in 1985. You know where we are in time from now until we will see you in all of your glory. And we will be glorified. And you know in what ways we need this word now in our church we pray that your word as you promise would not return void but do everything you intend for it to accomplish in jesus name we pray amen, amen. what is god doing in the world What's God doing in the world? Luke has written the book of Acts to be a compilation of God accomplishing His plan to save people from every nation through the unstoppable, Spirit-empowered witness that Jesus is the Christ And he was crucified for sinners and raised from the dead. Acts is about what God is doing in the world now. Short version, the Father's plan for salvation in his Son through faith in his Spirit-empowered witness. That's the book of Acts. Two things... To introduce you to how the book of Acts works in the church, what it means and what it is. First, Acts is a book of renewal for the church. A book of renewal. When I say renewal, I mean it regularly revives the church throughout generations back to the church's original purpose. What is the purpose of the church? What's the mission of the church? What do you think Millwood Baptist Church is about? What's it, what's it here for? What's it supposed to be doing? When you've looked for a church or when you joined this church, what did you think it was supposed to do? And if you are here and some things about the church are still new to you or confusing to you, consider Acts as a testimony about what God is doing and what the church is about. Maybe you've seen some pastors on CNN or Fox News. Maybe you've read some articles about the Southern Baptist Convention churches and how well or how poorly they're doing as churches. There's a difference between what God intends the church to be doing and what some who call themselves churches are actually doing. Consider that a church is only as faithful as it is close to the purposes of God in the Bible, particularly in the book of Acts. Listen, Acts corrects errors from various directions. Acts corrects those who are walking in spiritless religion and those who think spirit-filled experience is religion. Acts corrects those who are walking in spiritless religion and those who think spirit-filled experience is religion. If you think being the church is just showing up to a few meetings, you will find in the book of Acts that the Spirit of God is more free, powerful, and miraculous than you can know. If you think being a part of a church and upon the mission of God is about wild, aimless, personal, euphoric experiences like you think may be described in Acts... Acts will actually bring you back to the purpose that has more to do with Jesus and the mission of God. Acts redirects lifeless religion. It avoids experientialism and encourages the church to be bold witnesses of Jesus Christ to all nations throughout every generation. And in that end, it's a book of renewal. It gives the church its purpose and instructions. Secondly, by way of introduction to Acts, Acts as a compiled narrative for the certainty of the saints. A compiled narrative for the certainty of the saints. I've been thinking this week as I've prepared this sermon. We probably need certainty even in our church now more than we think we might know. We're hungry for certainty. Our lives are filled with uncertainty. If you're married, how long was it after you said your vows before you started wondering, is this the right person? happens. Colette never had to question that herself. It was no (laughs) doubt in her mind. Maybe it's a new job and it's, it's day 14. And you're really wondering, is this the right job? Maybe in recent years you've made a financial investment. And right now you're wondering, "Mm, I'm a little uncertain about whether or not this was a wise investment. The whole world is filled with uncertainty. Luke has written acts, along with his gospel, Luke, that we might have certainty. Go back to Luke chapter 1. and your Bibles, go left a couple books to Luke. So you're going to find Acts, to the left of that is John, to the left of that is Luke. Go to the first chapter. Big numbers are what we're called chapters in your Bibles. The little numbers that you see everywhere are verses. So big number one, verse one. Luke chapter one, verse one through four. And listen to what Luke says about his gospel that he wrote, Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, lover of God, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. You've already been taught them. I'm writing so that you may have certainty. Luke is compiling a narrative of the life and ministry of Jesus for certainty's sake. Are you certain about life, about death, about resurrection, eternity? When it comes to faith in Christ, God did not reveal himself in a way which requires uncertain faith. Faith is not the opposite of certainty. Faith is not the opposite of certainty. Faith is not plan B when you can't be certain. I think there's a kind of myth out there about faith and certainty, that God is up there just constantly judging our certainty, hoping that we are certain enough about our faith. We work up enough certainty to really convince God that we do believe Him, that we think that we are certain, but really... There are only those who believe and who are certain and those that believe Christ did raise from the dead for our sins and raised from the dead and those who are not. And from creation forward, God is actually the one who goes to great lengths to provide certainty about himself. And so Luke continues his work from the Gospel of Luke in Acts to keep providing certainty for you. Acts 1, verse 1, you can go back there, which Megan read for us. In the first book, that's Luke, the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, the same receiver. I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Implication. I am still on the same mission to provide the same certainty about the same person and his work, Jesus Christ. I wrote about what he began to do. Luke, and the whole Gospel of Luke... Well, that's just what he began to do. Now I write about what Jesus is still doing through the church. So he might have certainty. And what is the first point of certainty that Luke addresses? Ironically, it's one of those things that so many Christians are so uncertain about. The witness of the apostles. Purpose, the meaning of the apostles. A question came up in our leadership training meeting on Tuesday, our first one of the year. One by one, our group of men went around the table answering this question that one of the men brought up. How do I talk to my sibling who professes to be a Christian but does not believe that the Pauline epistles, all of Paul's letters, are scripture? In other words, he doesn't think they're actually he's actually an apostle. That's an apostolic question. Let me ask you, how would you answer that question? Do you know who the apostles were? Do you know why they matter? Were all the books in the New Testament written by apostles? Were all the apostles disciples? Were all the disciples apostles? Are there going to be more apostles? Might I be an apostle? All of a sudden, we find out that just really, 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 really believing is a bit different than the kind of certainty that the Bible might be providing. The apostles were Jesus' chosen, distinctly authoritative, and Spirit-empowered witnesses. Luke begins with a note, a word, a clarification, an identifier of these apostles. And here's what we will see about them this morning. The apostles were Jesus' chosen... Distinctly authoritative and spirit empowered witnesses. And Luke begins with them in his book of Acts because they matter significantly for the church. If you're going to compile a narrative of the church, you have to talk about the apostles. So, first, just two things one long and then one shorter. One, the apostles were chosen and taught by Jesus to be distinctly authoritative witnesses. First part of that sentence. And Jesus chose them and he taught them, he authorized them to be distinctly authoritative witnesses. Why mention that Jesus chose these apostles? Luke Starks acts by mentioning these are the apostles Jesus had chosen. Why? Why? Because Luke is reminding all readers that these particular men are the chosen apostles. These are the men who Jesus formally, officially, and personally chose and charged as apostles. They are not volunteers, they are not just historians, they're hand picked to be apostles. If you can flip back quickly, go back to Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. Go back to Luke's first book and see where he recounts in his first compilation how the apostles came to be apostles. Luke chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. Luke 6, 12 through 16. In these days he, that's Jesus, went out to the mountain and pray, to pray, And all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. He called his disciples, all of his disciples. He chose from them, those disciples, particularly twelve, and he named them apostles. And then look in chapter 6, verse 14 through 16, it names them. Simon, who he named Peter. And Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He chose from the twelve who he named apostles. These apostles were disciples. But these twelve disciples are called apostles. Not all disciples were apostles and not because they were smarter or better or more faithful disciples they're just disciples fishermen uneducated tax collectors normal people but chosen by Jesus you may have heard the word apostle just means messenger and that's true that's generic broad meaning of the word but would you call the messenger of the president of the united states who is bringing a message to president putin of russia during a nuclear face off just a messenger No, that kind of authority to speak for a king and a kingdom is reserved for someone whom the president has designated as an official, formal representative. Any American can speak about America at any given time. And we do it on the internet every day. But it's the secretary of state who has a unique authority to speak as if he were the president. And on the president's authority in person. The last sentence for the long entry on the word apostle in the theological dictionary of the New Testament clarifies the use of this word in the New Testament when it says in relation to the general use of apostles in the New Testament we must say finally that the word does begin to become a theological term meaning to send forth to service in the kingdom of God with full authority authority grounded in God Why them? Jesus chose them. But why them? Jesus chose them. Luke uses this phrase in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 to identify them. What distinguishes them from the other disciples and gives them any authority whatsoever? It's that Jesus chose them. See how Luke focuses on the establishment of the apostles... In his narrative, as an authoritative unit, as Acts continues, Luke very closely focused on the development and the establishment of the apostolic witness. Look with me at Acts chapter 1 continue looking through verse 3. He, Jesus, presented himself to them, specifically the apostles. Verse 4. And while he was staying with them, Luke is recording that he stayed with the apostles. Verse 6, so when they had come together, this is a reference to the apostles. Verse 9, and he said these things, they were looking, he was lifted up. Still talking particularly about the twelve. In this case, the eleven right now. Who saw Jesus lifted up? Especially... Most prominently, the apostles. Look in chapter 1, verse 12 through 14. In the process of getting that 12th apostle back because of Judas's betrayal, it names the apostles in Acts 1 again. They returned from Jerusalem. Who is that? The apostles, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. This is an important room. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Why are they named? Again, Luke wants everyone to know exactly who they are. We know their names. Some of them the names of their fathers. What they were doing when Jesus called them. Where they are from. But then see how Luke's narrative centers on the apostles' teaching as a unit. Look in verse 15. Look in verse 15. Peter, now filled with the Spirit, is going to speak, stand up, and speak. In those days Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. Sorry, this is before the receiving the Spirit. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. Peter, an apostle, stood up in the company of the brothers. There's a distinction the apostles and the other brothers. There's 11 apostles, there's about 120 brothers in total. Luke keeps the distinction to keep them as a group. Then, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, the Spirit of God comes and fills the disciples so that they begin to speak, it says in 2-4, in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Then Peter preaches the Spirit-filled official Sermon of Pentecost, and the conclusion of that sermon is what Peter first proclaimed in Matthew 16, that Jesus is the Christ that Jesus is the one who came as the lamb of God as the anointed one to save his people from their sins. Look at Acts chapter 2 verse 36. The summary of the apostles' teaching, his whole point in that sermon, Acts 2:36, Peter preaches, "Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him Jesus both Lord and Christ." this Jesus whom you crucified. But go back to verse 14, 2.14, the beginning of Peter's preaching. Chapter 2.14, look what Luke notes. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them. The apostles were a unit. And in this case, at the preaching of the sermon on Pentecost, they stood as a unit and laid down the authoritative news that Jesus is the Christ and we are saved from our sins only through Him. The church continues preaching this good news today, but the apostles wrote the good news. Just like we continue issuing citizenship in America based on the Constitution that was written over 200 years ago. But we didn't write the Constitution. We just keep teaching it and using it. And they responded to the apostles as a unit. Look in chapter 2, verse 37. When they heard this, those who heard Peter's preaching, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, they responded to them as a unit who had been speaking to them as a unit. Peter speaks, but all the apostles are there to certify who Jesus is and how you can be saved. And those there, they heard, they believed, and when they did, after they believed, what did they do? Acts 2.42, they were pierced to the heart, they believed, and then they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayers. Why did it not say the teaching of the Holy Spirit? Why did it not say they devoted themselves to the teaching of Jesus Why did they devote themselves to the teaching of the apostles? Because the teaching of the apostles is the teaching of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is the teaching of Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Peter preached, it's Jesus' teaching. When Peter preached, it was the Spirit's empowerment and emboldening him. It's the Spirit giving understanding to the hearers. What the eleven stood to say in solidarity, the twelve through tongues, is the Holy Spirit's witness to us. And just as central as these guys are, these eleven at the moment of Acts 1, it's that because of Judas. How central is their witness of Jesus and the mission of God? The message they carry is the foundation of the church and the new Jerusalem in heaven. Understand this. The message that they preached, that they carried, is the foundation of the church and the new Jerusalem in heaven. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. The church is built on the apostles. You might say the teaching of the apostles. In many senses, the New Testament is a presentation and a defense of the apostles' teaching. From the beginning, the church had to deal with fake apostles fake messengers of all kinds. The New Testament, like Paul, Peter, James, and John, it's like they're just swatting away, batting away false unofficial apostles in every letter. The New Testament is written. It's a a fencing off. This is the apostles and their teaching. Everything else is not. Why is that so important? The church, our faith, our hope in Jesus is built on the teaching of the apostles, on what they said. See Ephesians, which works like a charter to the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. Ephesians 2, 19 through 20. Paul's trying to make sure the church in Ephesus is united, though there's Jews and Gentiles there. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, Gentiles, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And and you, like everyone else who's a Christian, is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The church is built on the teaching of the apostles, those 12. And it is true chronologically in Acts, they come first and they teach. And it's true theologically in our doctrine. See, Paul says it again in chapter 3, verse 1 through 5. Paul says, for this reason, I, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I wrote briefly. In other words, the Gentiles are included. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Later in Revelation, Jesus affirms the church in Ephesus in this way. Just listen to Revelation 2.2. 2. You cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who called themselves apostles and are not. And you found them to be false. We can go on and on and on. Nearly every letter in the New Testament begins with the words, Paul, an apostle, or Peter, an apostle or how John says he's an apostle, that which we heard from the beginning. A requirement to be an apostle, to be with Jesus from the beginning. The faith of the church, our teaching, and what we know about Jesus crucified for sinners and raised from the dead is built on the authoritative witness of the apostles that Jesus chose. And see how the apostles are forever memorialized as the foundation of the city of God. The new Jerusalem, the heavenly city where the saints will finally eternally be with God is built on the foundation of the apostles too. Revelation chapter 21, verse 10 through 14. Revelation 21, verse 10 through 14. John says, And he carried me away in the spirit a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance, like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. And it had a great high wall with twelve gates, and the twelve gates, at the gates, twelve angels. And on the gates, the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, all the people of God from the Old Testament. And on the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them, were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The eternally heavenly city of God, where man will finally again, God's people who are in Christ will dwell with God, has the names of the apostles on its foundations. Why? Because the message the apostles were chosen to carry is the message of eternal salvation. The message the apostles were chosen to carry is the message of eternal salvation. You do not go to the heavenly city without going through heaven's authorized message of the gospel. Jesus is the Christ, crucified for our sins, raised from the dead so that we might be forgiven. There is no salvation in heaven or on earth or anywhere in God's plan which does not make its way through the apostles' witness about Jesus. In a word, this means for us, certainty. I was just talking to someone this morning how glad I am 2022 is over. I don't know why, I just kind of felt glad that it was over. How many things feel so uncertain? There's uncertain, things moving around. Relationships can be hard. If you you listen to the news and you hear anything about our financial market right now, it's it's just uncertain everywhere you go. But here is certainty for the church. Certainty. Chosen by Jesus, taught by Jesus, empowered by the Spirit, eternal certainty that this is the way of salvation. The church is not built on what we think about Jesus is true. The church is built on the witness of the apostles personally chosen by Jesus. Their witness is their office. It's not just men who are memorialized themselves as, as men. It's their witness. It's their gospel. The point is that their message is the truth of Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of David, come to die for sinners. That We actually have an eternal, forever fixed foundational to the church, foundational in heaven, salvation. That's certain. The certainty of the apostles' witness of the gospel is the foundation of the church forever. And they were chosen to be particularly empowered for their task. That's the second main thing about the apostles. They were chosen, and they were particularly empowered for their particular task. How do we know what Jesus said and what Jesus' commands are to the church? What's the teaching? What's the truth? Jesus empowered the apostles to be his official witnesses to the world. He chose them, but then he empowered them to do their job. How did Jesus ensure that they would get to the world and to the church? He helped them understand, he helped them remember, and he helped them proclaim it. He helped them understand, he helped them remember, and he emboldened them to proclaim it. If any of these things fail, if they didn't understand, or if they forgot, or if they were cowards, the world's very different. Back in the Gospel of John, there was a moment in the upper room. The moment when Jesus had just told the disciples that he would be leaving them. He was going to go somewhere else. They didn't know what this means. This sounds like crazy talk. You're the king, you're the Messiah, you're the son of David. We're following you as the Christ. You're going to leave? Jesus was just hours away from being arrested a day away from being crucified. It was the last moments that Jesus had with the chosen disciples where he would be free with them before he died. It's a conversation that takes up John chapters 14 through 17, that whole section. It's often referred to as Jesus' farewell discourse. Well, what did Jesus tell these chosen 12 disciples? Disciples would become apostles. Among many things, he promised that he would help them be apostles. That he would empower them. First to understand, he says in John 14, in the upper room, John 14, 25 to 26, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. All these things I told you while I'm still here. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Jesus did not just give them authority. He gave them understanding. He gave them teaching spiritually by the Holy Spirit. Remember, when Jesus died, the disciples and the apostles were confused and scattered. But when the Spirit of God came, it became clear who Jesus was. Crystal clear. And Jesus helped them remember it. He helped them understand, and he helped them remember it. John 14, verse 25 and 26, it finishes, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I mean, can you imagine Jesus' spokesman before, spokesman before the chief priest in Acts chapter 4, explaining, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth, and you, you know you know the thing. Why does Jesus want them to remember it? Because they are the apostles. Jesus is going away. They will not be able to ask more questions about what Jesus meant or clarify between them what Jesus said, what happened that one time when they were in that one city, when that one person said that one thing. Jesus is going to die, he's going to raise, and then he's going to ascend to heaven so that he becomes the ruler of every realm, heaven and earth. What a wonderful comfort to them in that moment to know that as Jesus' chosen apostles, he was going to help them remember. I don't know about you, I can't remember things. There's a reason I don't get to shop at the grocery store for our family. I don't remember what we need. I just go buy stuff. I I don't remember saying things. I don't remember people's names. There's been a few times already in 2023 and I was in conversation and to my absolute embarrassment I said, "You know, just go call," and I couldn't even remember their name, someone close to me. I can't remember their names. Just like just like gone. Do you imagine if we mankind without the help of the Holy Spirit were just supposed to remember the gospel? And the hope of the world it was brought to remembrance everything Jesus said to them, help them understand it, help them remember it, and help them boldly proclaim it. The Spirit empowered in the witnesses, the apostles, to broadly proclaim salvation through Jesus. Jesus told them in John 15, "The world is going to hate you we 're still in the farewell discourse. Jesus is about to go away, and part of his message to them is, the world is going to hate you guys. This is not like that message you give the young starter a few moments before they go on their first performance on the stage. They're going to love you. No. Jesus' message was, they're going to hate you, apostles. So what's the plan? What's the plan to help them Proclaim what they understand and remember, Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Power. What happens when the apostles start preaching? As they start preaching what they remembered and understood, they were quite swiftly put in jail. Told to shut up about Jesus. Every one of them put in prison at the same time. All twelve Right out of the gate. And Jesus said that He would give them understanding, help them remember, and empower them because He knew the world was going to hate them and that's what they would face. Jesus would bring everything He taught to remembrance. He would empower them uniquely as apostles to overcome every adversity, to continue preaching and teaching what Jesus had taught them and the Spirit gave them illumination to understand. Now, does the Spirit of God do this in every believer? In ways, yes. But in his farewell discourse, Jesus is talking first primarily to the apostles about being apostles so that they can lay down the authoritative message and truthfulness of Jesus for every generation to follow. Jesus is talking first about the apostles being apostles in their office. He's talking to the Twelve about being the Twelve so that we can hear their gospel and be saved from our sins. The whole point of the apostles is that there would be laid down in time forevermore the truth about Jesus being the Christ crucified for me and for you. That's the big message Jesus wanted to make sure everyone in the world hears. That the meaning of his death was that you can be forgiven for your sins. If you're here today, just know this is the message today that God has gone through such great lengths to give you certainty about. He's giving you certainty that you can have forgiveness for all of your sins. In your heart, in your mind, in your hands. Because Jesus died on the cross in your place. So that's what it means for him to have died that he raised, fully paying for your sin, and that Jesus is alive now, coming again another day. A couple of implications to close. They are the apostles who gave the gospel. The twelve are the apostles who gave the gospel. Jesus chose them as the twelve who gave the gospel. The gospel. There are no more apostles. And there are no more gospels. Of course, we haven't gotten to Paul yet. There's going to be some questions there about, is Paul an apostle? Who's this guy? Some people even say there's 14, maybe as many as 16 apostles, depending on how some passages in Acts read. But the apostles were a chosen group of 12 to mirror the 12 tribes of Israel on behalf of the church, just like God began with 12 in Israel. Now he begins with twelve in the church. You can't become an apostle. There won't be more apostles. We don't need more apostles. We have the gospel because the apostles did their job. The apostles did their job because Jesus is not a liar. He helped them with the Spirit, like He said. Their names are written on the foundations of the New Jerusalem because their testimony of Jesus is the fixed forever eternal testimony of Jesus. We don't need to add to them and we don't need to add to their gospel because Jesus chose them. They did their job because Jesus helped them. This tells us there's not more gospel to come. We're, we're not waiting for the next word. Yeah, sure, Jesus died on the cross for our, for our sins and he raised from the dead and he's coming again and God's going to make everything new again through Christ. But, but what's the next word? Like, what are we waiting for? Like, there's got to be something else. Like, No, he, he chose 12, they did their jobs, we have the gospel. What a wonderful certainty to know that God's not thinking and imagining things that he just wants to keep from us, but that he has given us certainty That this is the gospel that we need for our salvation from our sins. His crucifixion for the death that we deserve. They are the apostles who have the gospel that your sins are forgiven if you trust in Christ, crucified and risen from the dead. Lastly, the apostles distinguish Christianity from false religions. The apostles, in their testimony, distinguish Christianity from false religions. What do Mormonism, Islam, Jehovah's Witness, Christian science, the Jim Jones cult, and the Branch Davidians all have in common? They were began by someone else claiming to speak for God in the way in which Jesus authorized the apostles. I didn't take notes and bring it here, but I was reading this week a transcript between the FBI negotiator and uh, what's his name from the Branch Davidians, David Koresh. Thank you, David Koresh and their FBI investigator, FBI negotiator, hours, hours on the phone, talking with David about the Book of Revelation and the seven seals, and how David Koresh professed to be the one who could unlock the seals, which means he's who. He's Jesus. He's 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 kind of like the apostle. All those cults are false, wicked religions. Namely because they teach contrary to the gospel of the apostles. But they got there because from the beginning they claimed to speak for God like an apostle. That's why people listen to them. This is someone who is this is an apostle. This is someone who heard from God. This is someone who has a has a message, so we want to give them authority because they're saying that they're one like the apostles. Friends, this is a significant doctrinal eternal difference between Protestant churches today and the Catholic Church. I, I want to say it was uh, Jenkins is his last name. Ask if the Reformation was over. I think it was together for the Gospel Two Thousand Twenty. Is the Reformation over? Is that kind of, oh, that was 500 years ago, we're at the 500 year anniversary. Is that over? His answer was, no, we're still protesting. Think about what Catholics believe in their doctrine at least. I understand there may be some who are Catholics in their religion, they're church attendance, and they could be true Christians. But what the Catholic Church teaches is this the doctrine called papal infallibility. The doctrine of papal infallibility comes from the Latin phrase ex cathedra, literally from the chair. It was proclaimed by Pope Pius IX in 1870, and here's what it means. When, in the exercise of his office as the shepherd and teacher of all Christians, in virtue of his supreme apostolic authority, The Bishop of Rome defines a doctrine concerning faith or morals to be held by the whole church. I would encourage you to read, if you're interested more, about the differences between Protestant churches and the Catholic church like this one, a book by R.C. Sproul called Are We Together? Are We Together by R.C. Sproul. One of the things we reject about the Catholic Church here at this church is the idea of papal infallibility where the Pope continues to, generation by generation, continue to speak with apostolic authority. We wholeheartedly reject that. Jesus chose 12. They did their job because he helped them do it. And because of that, we have the gospel. And we have it with certainty. Christians, if you find yourself in a conversation about why we should believe the New Testament, talk about the apostles. And if you can't talk about the apostles, maybe you need to do some reading and learning and diving further into this sermon about the apostles. And come back next week for the next few weeks to learn more about the apostles. Jesus chose them. Someone might say to you, well, that's in the Bible. Exactly! That's the Bible. That's in the Bible. The apostles are in the Bible. So if you reject the apostles or suggest that there are more apostles, you have some answering to do about what the Bible says about the apostles. That's the whole point. It's in the Bible. You can't borrow from the Bible things about Jesus and then start a cult and ignore part of the Bible where Jesus says he chose 12. If you're not a Christian today, if you're here, you're wondering about Jesus, you're wondering about the church, you're thinking maybe we have lost our minds, consider where you are getting your ancient information about Jesus from. From who? From who, positively or negatively? How do you know? Compare certainties. Compare certainties that have been given to you. Have you looked into where the news of the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection comes from? That Jesus chose 12 from the beginning to be with him and to speak by his help to lay down the gospel that saves us. Here's a very, very simple test to see if someone is a true apostle or not. Did Jesus choose them and were they with Jesus from the beginning? Jesus says in John 15, 27 in that farewell discourse, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I chose you because you were there from the beginning, so you can give witness about everything that happened that I did from the beginning to the end. And watch and test it. When people start adding to the apostles, they start adding to the gospel. Every time. When you start adding to the apostles, you start adding to the gospels. More apostles means a different gospel. There are 12 foundations under the heavenly Jerusalem. They already have all the names of the apostles etched on them, all testifying that Jesus is God's Son crucified for sinners, what we need for salvation in life and eternity. Maybe your company has one of those employee of the month plaques. If so, you probably have you know three or four, you know, that have been filled up, you know, by, by March or May or something like that. And you probably have a bunch of empty spots there for future employees of the month. They're, they're blank, and then you put a picture and a plaque and a picture. Of every, every month, you get a new employee of the month. Heaven's foundation doesn't have any blanks. Twelve foundations, twelve names, one unified, authorized, spirit-empowered witness of salvation through Jesus alone. Now and forever. In conclusion, church, the apostles being chosen, empowered, and authoritative are not the total reason for our certainty. But it's often a forgotten and neglected certainty. It is, as you would say, a foundational certainty. Here is the certainty that we have. What the apostles said, Jesus says. What the apostles said, Jesus says. What they preached, their recorded teaching, it's what Jesus says to you today. Alive to you today. That you can be saved from your sins. Saved from God's just punishment for your sin by Christ on the cross in your place. Jesus chose them to do this. He authorized them to speak for Him. He empowered them and helped them to speak for Him. And so we... Know the gospel today. Luke would have you leave this room today with certainty that this is the gospel hope for all mankind on the earth, in heaven, both now and forever. And because of this great commission and empowerment, we have verses like Acts chapter 4, verse 33, and with great power. The apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. May it be so. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise for your Son, Jesus Christ. And especially today for this unique, special, wonderful testimony that you chose 12, you taught them with your mouth as a man and by your spirit in their chests that they would understand, that they would remember, that they would boldly proclaim the gospel despite being imprisoned and killed and so we have it and so we believe it and we can have it with certainty. I pray today that as we leave here we would leave Heads up, eyes out, chest out, thankful for certainty that the gospel we have, that Jesus died on the cross as the Christ, that he raised from the dead, that would help us be people who are certain in a world filled with uncertainty. Father, we pray that by your spirit, the witness of the apostles, we would leave here today with certainty that we have salvation if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.